Part 4 of Paul and Virginia This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ellis Christoph Paul and Virginia by Bernard and Pierre Part 4 You Europeans, whose mind are imbued from infancy with prejudices at variance with happiness, cannot imagine all the instruction and pleasure to be derived from nature. Your souls, confined to a small sphere of intelligence, soon reach the limit of its artificial enjoyments. But nature and the heart are inexhaustible. Paul and Virginia had neither clock, nor almanac, nor books of chronology, history or philosophy. The periods of their lives were regulated by those of the operations of nature, and their familiar conversation had a reference to the changes of the seasons. They knew the time of day by the shadows of the trees, the seasons by the times when those trees bore flowers or fruit, and the years by the number of their harvests. These soothing images diffused an inexpressible charm over their conversation. It is time to dine, said Virginia, the shadows of the plantain trees are at their roots, or, night approaches, the tamarinds are closing their leaves. When will you come and see us? inquired some of her companions in the neighbourhood. At the time of the sugar canes, answered Virginia. Your visit will be then still more delightful, resumed her young acquaintances. When she was asked what was her own age and that of Paul, my brother, said she, is as old as the great cocoa tree of the fountain, and I am as old as the little one. The mangoes have bore fruit twelve times, and the orange trees have flowered four and twenty times since I came into the world. Their lives seemed linked to that of the trees, like those of fauns or dryads. They knew no other historical epochs than those of the lives of their mothers no other chronology than that of doing good, and resigning themselves to the will of heaven. What need, indeed, had these young people of riches or learning such as ours? Even their necessities and their ignorance increased their happiness. No day passed in which they were not of some service to one another, or in which they did not mutually impart some instruction. Yes, instruction. For if errors mingled with it, they were at least not of a dangerous character. A pure-minded being has none of that description to fear. Thus grew these children of nature. No care had troubled their peace. No intemperance had corrupted their blood. No misplaced passion had depraved their hearts. Love, innocence and piety possessed their souls and those intellectual graces were unfolding daily in their features, their attitudes, and their movements. Still in the morning of life, they had all its blooming freshness, and surely such in the Garden of Eden appeared our first parents, when coming from the hands of God, they first saw and approached each other, and conversed together like brother and sister. Virginia was gentle, modest, and confiding as Eve, and Paul, like Adam, united the statue of manhood with the simplicity of a child. 
sometimes, if alone with Virginia, he has a thousand times told me he used to say to her on his return from labour, When I am wearied, the sight of you refreshes me. If from the summit of the mountain I perceive you below in the valley, you appear to me in the midst of our orchard like a blooming rosebud. If you go towards our mother's house, the partridge, when it runs to meet its young, has a shape less beautiful, and a step less light. When I lose sight of you through the trees, I have no need to see you in order to find you again. Something of you, I know not how, remains for me in the air through which you have passed, on the grass where you have been seated. When I come near you, you delight all my senses. The azure of the sky is less charming than the blue of your eyes, and the song of the amadavid bird less soft than the sound of your voice. If I only touch you with the tip of my finger, my whole frame trembles with pleasure. Do you remember the day when we crossed over the great stones of the river of the three breasts? I was very tired before we reached the bank, but as soon as I had taken you in my arms, I seemed to have wings like a bird. Tell me by what charm you have thus enchanted me. Is it by your wisdom? Our mothers have more than either of us. Is it by your caresses? They embrace me much oftener than you. I think it must be by your goodness. I shall never forget how you walked barefooted to the Black River to ask pardon for the poor runaway slave. Here, my beloved, take this flowering branch of a lemon tree which I have gathered in the forest. You will let it remain at night near your bed. Eat this honeycomb too, which I have taken for you from the top of a rock. But first lean on my bosom, and I shall be refreshed. Virginia would answer him. O oh, my dear brother, the rays of the sun in the morning on the tops of the rocks give me less joy than the sight of you. I love my mother. I love yours. But when they call you their son, I love them a thousand times more. When they caress you, I feel it more sensibly than when I am caressed myself. You ask me what makes you love me. Why, all creatures that are brought up together love one another. Look at our birds. Reared up in the same nests, they love each other as we do. They are always together like us. Hark, how they call and answer from one tree to another. So when the echoes bring to my ears the air which you play on your flute on the top of the mountain, I repeat the words at the bottom of the valley. You are dear to me more especially since the day when you wanted to fight the master of the slave for me. Since that time, how often have I said to myself, Oh, my brother has a good heart, but for him I should have died of terror. I pray to God every day for my mother and for yours, for you and for our poor servants, but when I pronounce your name, my devotion seems to increase. I asked so earnestly of God that no harm may befall you. Why do you go so far and climb so high to seek fruits and flowers for me? Have we not enough in our garden already? How much you are fatigued. You look so warm. And with her little white handkerchief she would wipe the damps from his face and then imprint a tender kiss on his forehead. For some time past, however, Virginia had felt her heart agitated by new sensations. Her beautiful blue eyes lost their lustre, her cheeks its freshness, and her frame was overpowered with a universal languor. 
serenity no longer sat upon her brow, nor smiles played upon her lips. She would become all at once gay without cause for joy, and melancholy without any subject for grief. She fled her innocent amusements, her gentle toils, and even the society of her beloved family, wandering about the most unfrequented parts of the plantations, and seeking everywhere the rest which she could nowhere find. Sometimes, at the sight of Paul, she advanced sportively to meet him, but when about to accost him, was overcome by a sudden confusion. Her pale cheeks were covered with blushes, and her eyes no longer dared to meet those of her brother. Paul said to her, The rocks are covered with verdure. Our birds begin to sing when you approach. Everything around you is gay, and you only are unhappy. He then endeavoured to soothe her by his embraces, but she turned away her head and fled, trembling towards her mother. The caresses of her brother excited too much emotion in her agitated heart, and she sought, in the arms of her mother, refuge from herself. Paul, Paul, unused to the secret windings of the female heart, vexed himself in vain in endeavouring to comprehend the meaning of these new and strange caprices. Misfortunes seldom come alone, and a serious calamity now impended over these families. One of those summers, which sometimes desolate the countries situated between the tropics, now began to spread its ravages over this island. It was near the end of December, when the sun, in Capricorn, darts over the Mauritius, during the space of three weeks, its vertical fires. The southeast wind, which prevails throughout almost the whole year, no longer blew. Vast columns of dust arose from the highways, and hung suspended in the air. The ground was everywhere broken into clefts. The grass was burned up. Hot exhalations issued from the sides of the mountains, and their rivulets for the most part became dry. No refreshing cloud ever arose from the sea. Fiery vapours only during the day ascended from the plains and appeared at sunset like the reflection of a vast conflagration. Night brought no coolness to the heated atmosphere, and the red moon rising in the misty horizon appeared of supernatural magnitude. The drooping cattle on the sides of the hills, stretching out their necks towards heaven and panting for breath, made the valleys re-echo with their melancholy lowings. Even the Kaffir by whom they were led threw himself upon the earth in search of some cooling moisture. But his hopes were vain. The scorching sun had penetrated the whole soil, and the stifling atmosphere everywhere resounded with the buzzing noise of insects, seeking to allay their thirst with the blood of men and of animals. During this sultry season, Virginia's restlessness and disquietude were much increased. One night in particular, being unable to sleep, she arose from her bed, sat down, and returned to rest again, but could find in no attitude either slumber or repose. At length she bent her way by the light of the moon towards her fountain, and gazed at its spring, which, notwithstanding the drought, still trickled in silver threads down the brown sides of the rock. She flung herself into the basin, its coolness reanimated her spirits, and a thousand soothing remembrances came to her mind. 
she recollected that in her infancy her mother and margaret had amused themselves by bathing her with paul in this very spot that he afterwards reserving this bath for her sole use had hollowed out its bed covered the bottom with sand and sown aromatic herbs around its borders she saw in the water upon her naked arms and bosom the reflection of the two cocoa trees which were planted at her own and her brother's birth and which interwove about her head their green branches and young fruit she thought of paul's friendship sweeter than the odour of the blossoms purer than the waters of the fountain stronger than the intertwining palm-tree and she sighed reflecting on the hour of the night and the profound solitude her imagination became disturbed suddenly she flew affrighted from those dangerous shades and those waters which seemed to her hotter than the tropical sunbeam and ran to her mother for refuge more than once wishing to reveal her sufferings she pressed her mother's hand within her own more than once she was ready to pronounce the name of paul but her oppressed heart left her lips no power of utterance and leaning her head on her mother's bosom she bathed it with her tears madame de la tour though she easily discerned the source of her daughter's uneasiness did not think proper to speak to her on the subject my dear child said she offer up your supplications to god who disposes at his will of health and of life he subjects you to trial now in order to recompense you hereafter remember that we are only placed upon earth for the exercise of virtue the excessive heat in the meantime raised vast masses of vapour from the ocean which hung over the island like an immense parasol and gathered round the summits of the mountains long flakes of fire issued from time to time from these mist embosomed peaks the most awful thunder soon after re-echoed through the woods the plains and the valleys the rains fell from the skies in cataracts foaming torrents rushed down the sides of this mountain the bottom of the valley became a sea and the elevated platform on which the cottages were built a little island the accumulated waters having no other outlet rushed with violence through the narrow gorge which leads into the valley tossing and roaring and bearing along with them a mingled wreck of soil trees and rocks the trembling families meantime addressed their prayers to god altogether in the cottage of madame de la tour the roof of which cracked fearfully from the force of the winds so incessant and vivid were the lightnings that although the doors and window shutters were securely fastened every object without could be distinctly seen through the joints in the woodwork paul followed by domingo went with intrepidity from one cottage to another notwithstanding the fury of the tempest here supporting a partition with a buttress there driving in a stake and only returning to the family to calm their fears by the expression of a hope that the storm was passing away accordingly in the evening the rains ceased the trade winds of the southeast pursued their ordinary course the tempestuous clouds were driven away to the northward and the setting sun appeared in the horizon. Virginia's first wish was to visit the spot called her resting place. Paul approached her with a timid air, and offered her the assistance of his arm. 
she accepted it with a smile, and they left the cottage together. The air was clean and fresh. White vapours arose from the ridges of the mountain, which was furrowed here and there by the causes of torrents, marked in foam, and now beginning to dry up on all sides. As for the garden, it was completely torn to pieces by deep water causes, the roots of most of the fruit trees were laid bare, and vast heaps of sand covered the borders of the meadows, and had choked up Virginia's bath. The two cocoa trees, however, were still erect, and still retained their freshness, but they were no longer surrounded by turf, or arbors, or birds, except a few amadavid birds, which, upon the points of the neighboring rocks, were lamenting, in plaintive notes, the loss of their young. At the sight of this general desolation, Virginia exclaimed to Paul, You brought birds hither, and the hurricane has killed them. You planted this garden, and it is now destroyed. Everything then upon earth perishes, and it is only heaven that is not subject to change. Why, answered Paul, cannot I give you something that belongs to heaven, but I have nothing of my own even upon the earth? Virginia with a blush replied, You have the picture of St. Paul. As soon as she had uttered the words, he flew in quest of it to his mother's cottage. This picture was a miniature of Paul the hermit, which Margaret, who viewed it with feelings of great devotion, had worn at her neck while a girl, and which, after she became a mother, she had placed round her child's. It had even happened that being, while pregnant, abandoned by all the world, and constantly occupied in contemplating the image of this benevolent recluse, her offspring had contracted some resemblance to this revered object. She therefore bestowed upon him the name of Paul, giving him for his patron a saint, who had passed his life far from mankind, by whom he had been first deceived and then forsaken. Virginia, on receiving this little present from the hands of Paul, said to him with emotion, My dear brother, I will never part with this while I live, nor will I ever forget that you have given me the only thing you have in the world. At this tone of friendship, this unhoped-for return of familiarity and tenderness, Paul attempted to embrace her, but, light as a bird, she escaped him and fled away, leaving him astonished and unable to account for conduct so extraordinary. Meanwhile Margaret said to Madame de la Tour, why do we not unite our children by marriage? They have a strong attachment for each other, and though my son hardly understands the real nature of his feelings, yet great care and watchfulness will be necessary. Under such circumstances, it will be as well not to leave them too much together. Madame de la Tour replied, They are too young and too poor. What grief would it occasion us to see Virginia bring into the world unfortunate children whom she would not perhaps have sufficient strength to rear. Your negro, Domingo, is almost too old to labour. Mary is infirm. As for myself, my dear friend, at the end of fifteen years, I find my strength greatly decreased. The feebleness of age advances rapidly in hot climates, and above all, under the pressure of misfortune. Paul is our only hope. Let us wait till he comes to maturity, 
and his increased strength enables him to support us by his labour. At present you well know that we have only sufficient to supply the wants of the day. But were we to send Paul for a short time to the Indies, he might acquire by commerce the means of purchasing some slaves, and at his return we could unite him to Virginia, for I am persuaded no one on earth would render her so happy as your son. We will consult our neighbour on this subject. They accordingly asked my advice, which was in accordance with Madame de la Tour's opinion. The Indian seas, I observed to them, are calm, and in choosing a favourable time of the year, the voyage out is seldom longer than six weeks, at the same time may be allowed for the return home. We will furnish Paul with a little venture from my neighbourhood, where he is much beloved. If we were only to supply him with some raw cotton, of which we make no use for want of mills to work it, some ebony, which is here so common that it serves us for firing, and some rosin, which is found in our woods, he would be able to sell those articles, though useless here, to good advantage in the Indies. I took upon myself to obtain permission from Monsieur de la Bourdonnais to undertake this voyage, and I determined previously to mention the affair to Paul. But what was my surprise when this young man said to me, with a degree of good sense above his age, and why do you wish me to leave my family for this precarious pursuit of fortune? Is there any commerce in the world more advantageous than the culture of the ground, which yields sometimes fifty or a hundredfold? If we wish to engage in commerce, can we not do so by carrying our superfluities to the town without my wandering to the Indies? Our mothers tell me that Domingo is old and feeble, but I am young and gather strength every day, if any accident should happen during my absence, above all to Virginia, who already suffers, oh no, no, I cannot resolve to leave them. So decided an answer threw me into great perplexity, for Madame de la Tour had not concealed from me the cause of Virginia's illness and wants of spirits, and her desire of separating these young people till they were a few years older. I took care, however, not to drop anything which could lead Paul to suspect the existence of these motives. End of part four.